0: Herbalists have been dispensing their knowledge to us for millennia, and they still have much to share with us. Louisiana herbalist and practitioner Corrine Martin shares her passion for herbs and the power of nature. It's on Tip of the Tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Corinne Martin. She is a retired faculty member of the University of Southern Maine. She is a certified clinical herbalist. She is also the author of a really terrific book called Louisiana Herb Journal,
1: Healing on Home Ground. So welcome, Corinne. Thank you so much. And thanks for introducing me and and having me talk. Well, it is a delightful book. And as we were saying
0: before we began, I just love the fact that it is so personal and it's so readable and accessible because of that. So what made you decide to
1: write in that style? Well, I guess um, my basic premise in terms of, you know, using medicinal plants and working with nature is, is the connectedness. You know, it's, I just think that sometimes you can hear about something, but it's when I, for me at least, it's when I actually use it, when I'm outside, when it's part of my everyday life, that then it sticks in my head and then it just becomes part of how I do my life. And so I didn't want people to have to kind of go out and try to spot the right plant and try to make sure the leaves were in the right order or whatever, I wanted them to also know Uh how to integrate them into their lives that they could it just be a part of how you live your everyday life you know how you take care of your garden how you walk your dog how you whatever i mean for me every time i'm outside i'm looking for my little herb buddies (laughs) you know okay what is that i haven't seen that before and so that's just all of the connectedness interconnectedness really I, and I, I felt
0: the way you do when you think, "Oh well, I'll just go outside and snip some parsley for the salad or something like that. It's like you could just be picking these things up. So do you walk around with a pair of scissors or some kind of a device for
1: cutting? Not always, but I have been known to uh, yank something up. <laughs> <laughs> or market somehow in my, you know in my little mental list and map of where it might be so I can come back and look for it. And look for it. Um, and I'm always pretty careful um with what I harvest and where I harvest it. That's a, you know really um can be a challenge I think sometimes in Louisiana because there's so much extractive economy that uses you know chemicals or things like that. And right. I want to make sure that what I'm picking is safe. Right, right. And so tell me how it
0: was that you really began to think of yourself as an herbalist which would then bring you to bring your education and certification and but before that when you started to say
1: this is what I am
0: mm-hmm.
1: how did that happen well i've always been in love with nature and louisiana is a great place to be in love with nature because you can't suppress it you can try but it's really <laughs> irrepressible as you know if you grow in a garden the weeds are irrepressible. They're everywhere. (laughs) Growing up, nature was just always where I wanted to be. And it wasn't that I didn't like my parents or my sister or my house, but it was, there was something that called to me. So I would walk out of the house and go down to the intercoastal canal. Actually, I grew up in Huma. And then when I came to see my grandparents in Hanville, which is where my house is now, I had the river. So I would just go and sit and watch and nature just. Was such a peaceful place to me. So I think I just forget started, about hurricanes and all of those kinds right. of okay, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I th- are there more storms now? I'm not sure. But in any case, I forget about that. I mean, I was a kid, so my parents took care of everything, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So I just became so intrigued with nature. And then my parents and my grandparents were all gardeners, and uh, my Tonki. excuse me, who was my great aunt. She was a fantastic gardener. And, you know, her place was always like a little enchanted place. And she actually, and my grandfather, her brother, were very intrigued with plants, and they would cultivate and hybridize different things on their own. So it's kind of in my genes, I think, that we just love plants. And then my mother worked as administrator in a local hospital assistant administrator. And so we grew up learning how to spell by using medical words. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Supersperitus, tendonitis. I mean, we could do that at. Before, you know? <laughs> so I don't know somehow those got mixed up in the box. And, uh, and when I first heard about herbalism in my mm, gosh, I think my, my mid-30s I uh-huh. uh, was so intrigued. So I bought my first herb book and started walking around and realizing I was walking over healing plants all the time. And uh, my older daughter had a really serious respiratory disease, uh, bad asthma. And uh, so I started trying to use some of the herbs for that. And that just, it just became, it just fit. You know, sometimes you just bump into something and it fits. And well, so, so
0: that's what it was. So tell me how do you go about becoming certified and becoming a a clinical herbalist right
1: well uh i did that in 1983 i went to the institute for traditional medicine in santa fe Mm -hmm. and that was our teacher for the herb herbal part of that school was michael moore who was a very well-known and respected um herbalist in the states and also internationally and he's since deceased so even herbalists do move on but still (laughs) um uh That was um, an eye-opener for me in many ways. First of all, it was my first really in-depth anatomy class. We we learned anatomy and physiology and biochemistry and and whatever. And um, I think the thing that Michael Moore did for me more than anything really was the activity of not just learning about it, but going out, identifying it, picking it up, harvesting it, bringing it back, cleaning it off figuring out which parts you want to use and then making the preparations. And then of course, helping uh, to, in herbal clinics where we would help uh, people to understand what plants they might want to use. And that just clicked for me and it became not just kind of my av- avocation, but also my, um, my life. I mean, and I don't mean my whole life was herbs, but you know, if my kids had a problem, we would use herbs. And that became my first line of defense So um, so. so how do you, how do you
0: get the clinical part um, Mm -hmm. where you have practice and are you, you do it almost as an intern where you have experience with someone who
1: is already a practitioner? Yes. Yes. We had um, herbal clinic was part of our training program. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and it's just one of those things where you, when you graduate, I think this is true for many different kinds of fields. When you graduate you say okay i'm a this whatever it is but then you you know the first few times you see somebody go i don't know what the heck i'm doing (laughs) what am i doing um but but the teachers would say well that's why they call it a practice Mm -hmm. and of course you know i wasn't instructing people in what to do with their you know brain tumors or you know serious diseases um you know it's really important to know your limitations and and as i used to tell my students in holistic health um you know really healing is from you you heal from a perspective a spectrum of interventions so herbalism is you know one of the the first spectrum on the spectrum and and then you know i could if i'm hit by a car i want to go to the emergency room but if i have the beginnings of a little cough i mean i could i could say this very easily five years ago, and now with a little trepidation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, if I just start to feel not quite well, then I might, you know, drink some more water or think about taking vitamin C or rest or take a day off. Or, and then I might say, well, my, maybe I, my immune system needs some support. So, you know, I'll use some of the gentle herbs that support immunity. So again, it's that spectrum of interventions.
0: And so what is really the difference between making your own preparation and using herbs that are prepared in pill form that you can buy at the grocery store? Right.
1: I used to make everything. Every plant I found, I tinctured it up, even if I didn't have any reason. Oh, I said tincture, so I'll talk about that for just a minute. But, you know, I would figure out some way to use it. I would either pick it and dry it to, to use as tea or I would pick it and tincture it up, which means a tincture is um, an extraction of the medicinal compounds in a plant with using a medium that is something other than water. So when you make a tea or an infusion, you use water. And when I make tincture, most tinctures, I use high-proof drinking alcohol, like high-proof vodka or grain alcohol. And uh, there are good reasons why you might choose one versus the other or tea versus tincture or tincture versus tea. But the advantage a tincture has is that it lasts indefinitely if you make it properly? So I forget what your question was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I was asking about making your own preparations versus. Oh, yes. Versus versus the store. In the right.
1: store. I used to really tincture or pick, harvest everything I found, every herb I found. And one year I was going once again back into the little thicket to harvest willow and I, you know, getting prickled and muddy and bug bitten and everything else. And then I thought, you know what? I mean, willow is really a very good aspirin. It means the source of acetylcylic acid, which is aspirin. I thought, you know, I can buy a bottle of aspirin for 99 cents. <laughs> and so <laughs> at that point, it was kind of like, okay, I don't have to do everything with herbs. And, and, and for a while, it was just every, everything I worked on, I, I used medicinal plants for it. And so then it's, I've come with age and also over, you know, decades of using medicinal plants to have kind of more of an open mind about it. So I don't think it's the be all and end all. I love it. It's part of my life. And I think it's really important herbalism and knowing the medicinal plants around you. I think it's really important in not only our healing, because sometimes gentler approaches really are better Mm -hmm. and useful and, um, and effective. But also there are times when we need something else. And, um, you know, I think it's okay to remember that, you know, we don't have to think somebody is wrong just because they're not willing to try an herb or they're wrong because they're not getting surgery when, in fact, something like acupuncture or, you know, an anti-inflammatory herb might help the problem. So I've come to a more balanced, I think, perspective with it.
0: Well, so I am very fascinated by the connection to cooking because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the early recipe books or receipt books, Mm -hmm. often the herbal remedies and the recipes for them Mm -hmm. are interspersed between the food and Mm -hmm. the use of herbs and other vegetables Mm -hmm. and fruits or whatever with well, they're all put together in one recipe book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, how did they get
1: separated? Um, I Well, that's a good question. I know why they were together. In my perspective, they were together because many of the plants that we now think of as culinary herbs were actually originally used for their medicinal properties. Mm-hmm. And I would assume that's just a guess, but I would think that as we became a culture that's more comfortable with sort of isolation or separation. In other words, this is for healing and this is for food or, um, you know, specialization, something that that we called scientific, whether something that we could have called scientific if we, if we believed in that, But, (laughs) but, um, and I think that that, you know, really we have, I think in this country, particularly we have a fear of medicinal plants a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to Europe, um, I was there, I was in Italy like three years ago before COVID. And um, I had got a sinus infection and I went to, a. I didn't have a doctor there. So I went to a hospital, and you know, quick care and um, the doctor checked me out. I didn't have pneumonia, which I knew, but whatever. And he gave me a prescription. What I thought was a prescription. I took it to the pharmacy and it turned out to be a prescription for herbs and like propolis and which is, um, from made from you know bees and also different medicinal plants and and it worked just fine and I thought this is very interesting because here we have you know yet another country that believes in science and has a good strong medical service and system and yet it also incorporates herbs which is true for most much of Europe and other countries um, so that, did- that's part of their health care
0: did the um, pharmacist actually compound this for you or did they use it was already put up. Yeah, it was already-, already prepared. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it, it reminds me too of things like bitters, which Mm -hmm. Um, would have been prepared in pharmacies and maybe a little bit of sugar be put into it to make it more palatable or something. But, and I keep thinking while you were talking about making tinctures and using alcohol, made Mm -hmm. me think about absinthe because Mm -hmm. the thing about absinthe that's so interesting is that the essential oils in the herbs that are macerated in the alcohol to make absinthe Mm -hmm dissolve in the alcohol and then Mm -hmm. as you add water to it in order to dilute it Mm -hmm. the oils come out of solution and then it gets cloudy right and so then you have that that look that you have with ouzo and all these other kinds of um alcohols that use this technique Mm -hmm. and um of course, then that becomes its own feature as uh, can you swirl it beautifully and all that as you add the water to it. But mm-hmm. it is a very, very old technique to uh, to do that. Obviously too, it takes advantage of the fact that you can dissolve it in the alcohol, which you cannot do in water.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, That's, right. It's interesting. Yeah. I think I find that particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. My, my grandparents from Italy, my, from Italy, mm-hmm used to keep bitters as medicine for medicinal purposes right. mm-hmm. and now of course in culinary circles and, and in bartender circles amari are being mm-hmm. uh, revived as mm-hmm. uh, something to drink other than just to make cocktails with which i just think is just showing you how these circles of things just kind of return oh, yeah. again and right. again yeah right.
1: yeah bitters was one of the first kind of categories of herbs that I use that I learned about in herb school because it stimulates digestion and stimulates all of the digestive organs to be prepared for to digest the food that you're about to eat Mm -hmm. and then you know of course another thing that often you'll hear about in herbalism is supporting the liver sort of quote unquote Um, and when I first used to hear that I thought my liver do I think I do I have a lazy liver Uh, (laughs) you know it's like if you think about the fact that our liver's job is to kind of break things down that could be potentially harmful to the body, then then it kind of makes sense. I mean, we live in a world where there, are, you know, not many people cannot afford to eat organically, and we're constantly surrounded by things in the air and waters, and you know, we could worry ourselves to to a tizzy over that. But, you know, gentle support for the liver is not a bad idea for many people. And in fact, that's one of the herbs I use every day. I have dandelion tea every day. And I have to say I mix earl grey with it, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> earl grey is medicinal too. So. And so do you mix earl grey with it for flavor? For, or? Uh... Oh, I just like it. Ah. And it's, monar- it's also medicinal. It's um, made from monarda, which is uh, like bee balm. Uh-huh. It has some some volatile oils in it that are just generally kind of boost your overall health. So you know it's a nice combination. Yes, it, it sounds
0: it sounds like a, a delightful combination. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to your dandelion to um, make the tea?
1: Well, harvest it. Uh, you can harvest most roots can be should be harvested either in the early early spring before they've started to flower. Or in the fall, once there's been a frost or a cold spell. I guess in Louisiana, you'd wait for a colder spell. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, when you harvest them, I usually like to harvest in the fall. Spring harvested roots tend to have more sugar in them, and it's harder to dry them Uh well. So harvest them, dry them, and um, and it's not hard to dry an herb. You know, it's the root is the most medicinal part. Even though the leaves are also medicinal, they have diuretic properties and and have some iron and other minerals in them. But the the dandelion root is the part that is most often recommended for blood sugar imbalance, hormonal imbalances, tired liver, tired tired gallbladder, constipation, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> See the book. <laughs> Um, I I used to, I used to harvest dandelion
0: with my grandmother because she was a forager and mm -hmm. of course this was urban foraging. So no doubt we were just mm -hmm. getting lead in our bodies all over the place because this would be all along the Mm -hmm. highways and streets Mm -hmm. and whatever, but we would harvest dandelion leaves to make Mm -hmm. salad. Right, um, and and have the blossoms and things, not not all the way to the puffball stage, but right, you know, right, right. You know, really the early buds and things that would go into
1: salads. Right, you know, a lot of in Maine, in this house in Maine, I had a neighbor next door who used to go out and harvest dandelion leaves every spring and make it for salad or have spring greens and I know that in Louisiana there are there a number of foraging groups and and very interesting and informative groups online that that will help to people to understand uh, you know what to harvest when and what's safe and what isn't and things like that and then there's Dr. Charles Allen up in Pitkin at Allen's Acres he's just such a wealth of knowledge so Mm -hmm. it's so great to visit him up there. So there are a lot of resources in Louisiana for people who want to forage and or do herbs. So what
0: do you say to people who are afraid that because they don't know how much or what the quantities of the active ingredients and things might be, and of course this plant is different from the one right next to it, Mm -hmm. um, and so they're afraid to take a chance, and how do you reassure them?
1: Well, the first thing I say is trust yourself. I mean, if you are a person who has health issues or you know, you're sensitive to a lot of different things, then, then it's, you, know, you wanna be really careful and do it with your, your healthcare practitioner's guidance. And the other thing to know is that herbs don't work like pharmaceutical drugs. So if you have a pharmaceutical drug and many pharmaceutical drugs have some form of plant material as their base, <clears throat> excuse me, like aspirin or you know things like that. Mm-hmm. What I would say is, first of all, the way that a pharmaceutical drug works is you take some compound that you've created in a laboratory, it's very concentrated. So when you take it, it's very potent, it's very strong. And, and that is why you have to be very careful. When you use a medicinal plant, a plant can have hundreds of compounds in it but tiny, minute amounts. So what you're getting then is like a whole stew of very tiny amounts of medicinal properties or chemicals, if you want to think of them in that way. Dr. Andrew Weil, who is at the University of Arizona Medical Center, has said, we're all confused in this country. He says, you know, drugs are the things that are dangerous, not meaning don't take them, just meaning you don't take them by yourself and decide when you need them for the most part. Mm -hmm. over-the-counter things and even then you have to be careful he said herbs are the things that are safe because the the amounts of a chemical in the herb are so tiny and also all of those different compounds work synergistically they work together to produce gentle effects so those are the things that actually you're safer using and or quote-unquote experimenting with but again experiment gently be nice to yourself talk to your doctor. I mean, you know, it's not a contest. I mean, I've said that to my students many times in the past, healing is not a contest. It's just trying to decide which, which plant or, or method of healing on a spectrum of interventions is going to work gently without causing any harm. Mm-hmm. And that's, and so for me, you know I say for people who are concerned that keep that in mind. And you know, there's also a Native American practice that I heard about, excuse me, from a friend years ago who was Native American. And she said, they used to like tell you, okay, so if you want to experiment with a plant to see how it's gonna work for you, take a leaf, crush it up, rub it on the inside of your lip and just hold it in your mouth for just a moment and then spit and wait 24 hours. And the next day you crush up the leaf again, you put it in, you hold it in longer and then spit, and then you wait another day. And then the next, the third day, you can swallow some of it and wait another 24 hours. And then if you're not having a bad reaction, then it's probably safe for you to use. Mm-hmm. So you know, there are any herbalist worth their salt and any person who's interested in wild foods and wild edibles and, and um, wild medicinal plants will not want you to rush out and cram something down your mouth without giving it some serious thought. So do you
0: find that medical schools are more open to this than they had been
1: previously? Many of them are. First of all, I think that they came to that because so many people who were coming to their doctors and nurses and not telling them that they were using medicinal plants. So now many of them will routinely ask, what are you taking? Are you taking any kind of supplements or herbs or anything like that, which is you know, a good way to start? Mm -hmm. And many of them are including that. I mean, I taught holistic and integrative health at the university nursing school. So it's become kind of part of what people choose as an option. And therefore, physicians, nurses, healthcare practitioners are more intrigued by it. And, you know, there's a lot of people will say, well, there's no research. Well, that's not true. There's tons of research. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a tricky thing, the whole research thing, because, It costs, um, gosh, millions of dollars, and I think it's 15 to 17 years before a drug can be approved by the FDA. Um, And so, you know, companies, pharmaceutical companies, are willing to pay that because at the end of that period of time, of the testing period, they get priority. um, What what, do you want to call it? Um, They get the patent. Oh, yeah. patent, a patent for um, producing that that um, drug for so many years. Nobody's going to pay to research dandelion because right. nobody's going to pay you <laughs> to research dandelion. <laughs> so, you know, we're kind of limping along in that respect compared to some other countries, but um, it's coming along. And I think there's more and more understanding. I've had physicians who don't know that I'm an herbalist recommend an herb for me. So that's kind of nice.
0: Yes, that is. That is. And it it does also make you feel that um, that physicians today are taking a more holistic approach. And it's not just about the chemistry, uh, because it always scares me that we only know so much scientifically and we tend to think, oh, we have this amino acid, this amino acid, this, whatever it might be. I'm just picking amino acids, Mm -hmm. but we aren't seeing how it's smaller things are involved. And we're only, only now even recognizing that that's the case. It used to be, oh, well, we can just formulate this because we know these seven things are in it, but there might be thousands of things in it that we just haven't found. And, um, I, it always makes me happy to know that there's a sort of softening of those rigid, um, right. those rigid distinctions that people make. Yes. And so, what are you doing um, now? And what is your, what are you doing for the future? What are your new plans now that you've retired? Oh, I'm I retired. Oh,
1: from, now, now from, I retired
0: from the university. Yes.
1: Right. Um, well, I am. I wrote a book (laughs) yes a lovely wonderful book thank you it's an ongoing project actually i'm still discovering more and more medicinal plants in louisiana all the time and um meeting people who are very intrigued by it or who are doing you know louisiana is just rich with people who are interested in land things you know yes Uh, like i mentioned dr allen and johnny bordelon who has a i forget the name of the website it's something like louisiana wild edibles foraging mushrooms and I can't remember medicinal plants. I think I always forget the name because it's long, but he's just a wealth of information. And there are many different groups that are getting together to talk about these things. So I'm getting to meet those people and that's great. Um, And I'm relaxing some. (laughs) Uh And so is there, is there a book about Maine and the
0: um, uh, herbs of Maine coming?
1: Well, actually I did that in 1994. Or 94, I published a book that was called Earth Magic and then got bought by Norton. Uh-huh. And um, that became Herbal Remedies from the Wild. So I think what I'd really like to do is to do a second volume of the um, Louisiana herb book. Okay. And, um, and then, um, you know, just see where it takes me. All right. All right.
0: Well, I really appreciate it. This book is so delightful. And even for people who might not have any interest in herbs. It is a fabulous read, and that I thank you for that because there there's just a delight in reading it. It's kind of contagious. Your feeling of delight comes through as you're reading the book, which I really really appreciated, and I recommend the book to anybody who is interested not only in herbs but and health, but also culinary herbs and just the story of what grows and how we learn about what we can eat and what we can't. And I, I really appreciate this book. It's just delightful.
1: Well, thank you so much. Yeah, when I when I wrote it, I thought, well, not not everybody is going to want to know about medicinal plants. But I think that even for people who are what I'm finding and hearing from people is that they're saying, well, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to use an herb but I'm seeing my yard differently.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, I just think that's really, that's really the point is how do we see the land around us? Because yeah. then that leads into how do we treat the land around us? So that's my that's sneaky true. attempt. It's my yeah. sneaking attempt to get people to see it differently. <laughs> it's not a surprise anymore. <laughs> right,
0: right. No, it's, uh, but you really accomplish a lot, I want to say in the book. So thanks so much, Corinne, for joining us today on Tip of the Tongue. This has been really delightful. And everybody, this book is wonderful. Louisiana Herb Journal, Healing on Home Ground. I am looking forward to the next volume. Great. (laughs) Thanks so much.
1: It's been great to talk with you. Nice talking to you.
0: Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.